Good morning. I love that story. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 7. You can turn there. But let me just kind of recap what you heard. There's four men sitting at the entrance of the city gate. They're lepers. And life is pretty hard. And they start talking. And here's the essence of the conversation. They say, if we stay here, we're going to die. It's that simple. If we go back into the city, there's a famine there and we're going to die. We could go to the Assyrian camp and chances are they're going to kill us and we're going to die. Isn't this a great conversation to have? But they say, just maybe, just maybe if we go into the camp of the enemy, they'll spare us and we'll have some food. It is bad enough in their culture to be a leper. It's even worse to be a leper at a time of famine because nobody would give them scraps of food. It's even more difficult to be a leper in a time of famine and war. Here was the city, here were the lepers, and here were the Assyrians. They're locked outside of the city. They're forgotten. They're abandoned. Incurable disease eating away at their flesh. But their minds were still sharp, at least sharp enough to consider the options. And the only one of the options that had the slightest chance of working was to go surrender. And they went. And what they discovered was that God does what only God can do. I mean, here's the story. Four lepers go walking at twilight, okay? What's the Assyrian army here? They hear this massive noise. It sounded like army upon army upon army coming after them. You know, the Lord initiated that, and they go running. They go running so fast, they're throwing their clothes off. They're leaving the food. They're leaving everything. They want to get out for their life. And it's only four homeless lepers, And they become rulers of the wealth of an army. Here's the first principle I want us to look at this morning. And I put it in first person because I want you to say it in first person. But I'll say we. We cannot ensure how long we will live. But we can determine how we will live fully while we are alive. Amen? You know, we live in our land. In America, we live under the illusion that we're in control. And we often like to, if we don't think we're God, we like to play God. Or at least we think we're one of his favorites. Kind of like James and John going up to Jesus saying, which one can sit on the right and which one on the left? But the only thing we can control is choosing how we will live. And I'm curious. I'm curious how many times we choose to remain in our desperation We choose to remain outside the city in our leprosy. We choose to remain in our circumstances rather than driving us to the abundance that awaits in Lord Jesus Christ. Now here there was an urgency. I hope you picked up on that. They were going to die. And they had to make a choice. They had to act as if their life depended on it because it was. Today, in Christian circles, I often think we act like we don't want to be inconvenienced. And we don't realize the desperation that's around us. We don't realize the spiritual poverty and the famine. We don't realize the enemy that's sitting outside the camp. 
And so we choose to sit and do nothing. See, sometimes life means we have to cross enemy lines and choose to surrender. Remember the choir singing about surrender this morning? They sang it over and over and over again about how we need to surrender. That leads me to my second principle. Only after they acted did they discover that God was already acting on their behalf. Isn't that so true? We have to act as if our lives depend on it. We have to act as if there's no other choice. But in our human nature, we want God to act first. We want to see the path rather than taking the step of faith and entering into a faith journey. We want the whole conclusion saying, well, if I do this, here's where I'm going to end up. And God says, no. I want you to Choose to act in faith on my behalf. One of the more familiar stories of the Bible is the one of Moses. And of course, we know he was the deliverer. Israel was enslaved for 400 years. I mean, it was a horrible living situation. We know that Pharaoh hardened his heart and they end up going out and they placed themselves at the Red Sea. There's a little part of the passage we don't often look at. They're at the Red Sea. There's panic because Israel sees Egyptians coming. And here's what they said. We wish you would let us alone instead of bringing us here to die in the wilderness. Imagine that. They knew what it was like back then, but they thought, you know what? It's better to be in slavery, to be in pain, to watch our families die because some of us got food than to come out here and die. Moses gives his halftime speech doesn't do anything. But God comes along and says this. Look at Exodus 14, verse 15. It says, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? In other words, okay, you, you've prayed long enough. Tell the people of Israel to do what? Go forward. Put your feet in the water. Test me to see if I won't part the Red Sea and you will walk on dry lands. We often miss that little phrase, go forward. We think they all sat there, they prayed, the Lord opened the sea. No, he said, go forward. Too many people settle for survival. When God desires victory, he says, I want you to step into it. I want you to go forward and let me handle the rest. Now I'm going to reread some of the things that Jim read because I, I love this story. Again, they had their discussion. They're trying to decide what they're going to do. But in 2 Kings 7, look at verse 5. Here's what it says. So they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses Imagine, four guys walking sounded like chariots and horses. <laughs> the sound of a great army, just four lepers. So they, they said to note one another, Behold, the king of Israel is hired against us, the kings of the Hittites, the kings of Egypt, to come against us. So they fled in the twilight and abandoned their tents. Twilight's just what we call dusk. They abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. 
And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent, carried all things from it, and went and hid them. Then they finally said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come and let us go and tell the king's household. Here's the third principle. The discovery of God's provision is meant to be shared with others. Amen? You know, our first impulse in this life is to do what? To store it, to hide it, to keep it for a rainy day. We lived without for so long, we think we have to stockpile it because we don't know what's going to be faced in the future. And so we just kind of collect the resources to ourselves. And let's be honest for a moment. Why would these four lepers go back to a people who abandoned them? Why would they go back to a people who devalued their lives and due to their cultural and religious beliefs said that they were not worthy to be part of their community? They were not worthy to be part of God's family. They were out, forsaken, forgotten. And I have to think about our impulses. Do I have enough? What if this happens? Well, God, you don't know what they did to me. Why should I share this good news with them? Because they deserve what they're going to get. They push me aside. And what I discovered in our human impulses is that we never get to a place where we trust God completely. Now, let's talk about the good news. There's one reason the church exists. It's because the good news of Jesus Christ. We are called the body of Christ. We are the visible representation of who Jesus Christ is to our world. This is our common cause. And we have to act as if lives depended on it because it does. And if we really believe in eternal life through Christ, and if we believe that on that day where we stand before God that nothing else matters, If we believe he's not going to ask about our bank accounts, he's not going to ask about our marriages, he's not going to ask about all those things that we worry about. If it's about, do we know Jesus? If we really believe that, do our actions correspond with that belief? Somewhere in America, we've convinced ourselves that all people have to do anymore is pray a prayer. It's fire assurance against hell. That they can make a decision and act like whatever they want to act like. But being a follower of Jesus requires much more than, and I'm going to use this phrase, having a personal relationship with Jesus. It has to be transformative. Something will change. You can't come face to face with Jesus and have nothing change. It also entails a public and transformative relationship with the world. The good news was meant to change the world. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Therefore, everything he's talked about, some theology stuff, we are ambassadors. What's an ambassador? 
An ambassador is someone who goes to a foreign land and represents that land they're from. And we're called sojourners, we're called foreigners because we're part of the kingdom of God when we accept Christ and we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. There's a book called The Hole in the Gospel, if you ever get a chance to read it, that really talks about how we have let the good news drop. And let me ask you this question. Why do you think God left his Holy Spirit here? Why do you think he left us his word? Is it for personal self-worth? Is it to get our way and preferences? Martin Luther said, live as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back tomorrow. I like that quote. Say it with me. Live as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back tomorrow. Just sense the urgency about that. Now I'm going to read a rather disturbing quote. I say it's disturbing because I found it disturbing. It's written by an atheist. His name's Penn Jillette. If you know Penn and Teller magicians, Penn Jillette is one part of that. But here's what he says to Christians. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Now, proselytize in his mind is we call evangelism, okay? Where we try to help people become Christian. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them or this because it would make them it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? Again, use the word evangelize. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not to tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I thought, wow. God uses the words of an atheist to challenge the church because I've sensed the urgency of evangelization, the urgency of discipleship making, call whatever you want. The urgency of helping people become a follower of Christ has just kind of dwindled. We make it the job of the preacher on a Sunday morning. We don't think about it at work or in our communities. Here's the fourth principle. Everything changes when we experience the goodness of God. Now, if you want to replace the word goodness with the gospel of God, you can do that. Here's four lepers. They had every reason not to care for anyone. They had every reason to accept their lot in life and to die just like everyone expecting them to die outside the city gates. But when they came face to face with God's goodness, with the good news, they could not keep it to themselves. And so we have to ask two questions here. One is, what keeps us from this goodness? What keeps us from the good news that the Assyrians have fled, that there's plenty of food, there's plenty of shelter, there's plenty of clothes? Well, there's only one answer. We do. We do. Now, another question I have to ask is, do we at GBC live out this goodness? I mean, it's important what we fight for. 
You know, last week I talked in the text Isaiah 58, and I want to remind you of this verse, verse 12. It says, your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up, raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be, be called to repair the breach, to restore the streets to dwell in. I mean, think about our mission. That is good news. I do a lot of consulting in many different kinds of churches with pastors. The tragedy is what churches often fight for has nothing to do with the good news. It has everything to do with our preferences. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has nothing to do with the good news that we can sit down at the table of the Lord and we can partake of an incredible banquets. And people are still dumpster diving, have no idea about the good news. That's not what they fight over. And you know, I hear Christians all the time get upset at politicians. They say things like this. Well, they're supposed to be public servants. They're not public servants. They appear to be anything but. Well, the church is to be servants of the almighty God. We're to be followers of Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. How many times do we appear to be anything but? Are we living out the gospel of God? Are we living out the good news, the goodness of God? If we are, ruins will be rebuilt. Solid foundations for future generations will be laid. Breaches in the wall will be repaired. We will restore life to people. Now, we have to understand, this story tells us this, that when you share about the goodness of God, people will question you. You know, they, they, lepers got word back. They weren't allowed in the city, so they talked to the guard at the gate. The guard talked to the king. Remember what the king said? You know, it's a trap. The Assyrians are out hiding the mountains. They use these four lepers. And they're waiting to kill us. So they sent a scout out. Scout comes back and says, you know, everything's like these guys said. And the king says, well, I still don't quite know if I believe them. So why don't you kind of go out? And so these scouts follow the trail close. And they came back and said, you know, it is exactly like these lepers said. We could not find the army, the Syrians. Now this gatekeeper, we didn't read these verses. I'm going to read it to you in a moment. In 2 Kings 7, verses 18 and 19, there's this gatekeeper, okay? And before all this happened, there's a prophet, a man of God, who literally said, okay, you know what? You're in famine. You can't even buy flour. You can't buy wheat. Says pretty soon it's going to sell for pennies. You're going to have so much, you're not going to know what to do with it. Note the reaction of the gatekeeper. Now remember, he heard the prophecy. He heard the lepers come back. For when the man of God said to the king, two sheaths of barley shall be sold for a shekel and a sheath of fine flour for a shekel, about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God. And here's what the captain said. If the Lord himself should make the windows in heaven, could such a thing be? In other words, no. Who's this crazy prophet saying in 24 hours, this is going to happen? So you see what was happening inside the city and outside the city? Inside the city, the prophet was telling the king, you know what? You're going to get an answer to prayer about this famine. Outside the city, you got four lepers who are disconnected, don't know this story, who really are the answer to the prayer. 
people they disrespected, disregarded, said had no value to their culture, God used to deliver Jerusalem. Here's the sad part of this story. Do you know how people are stuck in their version of truth and they just can't believe it? Lepers come back, tell the gatekeeper. Gatekeeper tells the king. King sends out scouts, sends out scouts furler. Now to the city, listen, <laughs> there's food out there. The gatekeeper was so convinced of his truth, he tried to stop the people from leaving the city. He yelled, don't go, don't go. But there was such a mad rush of people that they literally trampled him to death in his own truth. Here's the fifth principle. And we got to make a shift in our minds. We got to make a shift from what God will do for you to what God will do through you. And we have to act as if our life depends on it because it does. And we have to act as if the lives of others depend on it as well because it does. Four lepers. Their highest ambition in life was to survive and to live another day. But there was a shift. And they found themselves the benefactor of God's goodness, of God's good news. And they who were the least of these in their culture, provided a future for a hopeless people. Do you realize in this story, a leper became more powerful than the king? Because the leper stepped into the life God wanted him to live, and the king did not. This is what God does. Now I want to make some things clear about GBC. We believe in the goodness of God and we call it good news. Amen? Amen. Our world desperately needs this good news because of the evil that is present. Some of those in the recovery houses know that this past Friday we buried a guy that was just four days into the house. He couldn't kick the demon of addiction. 30 years old. Talking to his best friend, his, his best friend said, you know, there was five of us that, that ran around in high school together and we did everything together. And he goes, I'm the only one left. Every single one has died because of this demon we call addiction. The world needs this good news. You don't have to stay at the gate and die. We live in a world where people sell death to people and kids, and youth, and adults because of the God of money. And there seems no concern for life. I mean, even outside the church, just listen to the news. They know about this evil. They call it the war on drugs. We live in a world where in the name of choice, we assassinate our children. We believe the lies that this is humane because it's legal. I remind you that it used to be legal to own somebody. We called it slavery. And we thought it was humane. And that was a horrible evil. We live in a world where parents do unthinkable things to their kids today. We live in a world where the norm is to live at the expense of someone else. We call it entitlement. But let me be absolutely clear. We must live out this goodness of God. We must act like our lives depend on it because it does. 
and we have to act if the lives of others depend on it because it does. And that's why the good news involves things like confession, saying the same thing that God says. And the tragedy is in America, the church has been fighting for all the wrong things. And we've been surviving and not living. We've been sitting at the gate in our leprosy saying we're going to die. When we cross into the Assyrian camp that God already took care of, he says, listen, there is so much more life that I want you to live. I guess what I'm saying is you don't have to survive this morning. You can live. And for those who are here this morning and you've been living on the side of evil, like the lepers at the gate, you are welcome to the love and the goodness of God. That's why it's called good news. And no matter what's happened in your past, he will forgive you and love you and transform you if you allow him. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But listen to verse 17. Because so often I talk with people and they say, well, you don't understand where I've been. You don't understand what I've done. I've, I've done all these horrible things. But here's what Jesus says. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So here at GBC, we are not about pointing fingers and condemning. We're here to remind you that you're made in the image of God, that you're a value to him, you're a value to us. And there is good news. But you have to leave the famine, you have to leave the leprosy, and you have to walk into the camp of at least what appears to be the enemy and experience the love and grace of who God is. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team up. When they come up, I want to close. And I want to ask the obvious question. If you're here this morning and you are that leper at the gate, and you've never decided to follow Jesus, and it's scary, it's unknown, it may be the camp of the enemy because you heard all these bad things about Christians, you may think, I have too much baggage. Just kind of throw all that out. Get up and start walking. If you're here this morning and you want to make a decision to follow Christ and you haven't, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and we're going to have someone kind of pray with you and around you for that. I'm going to step back so I can step out of the light and see that. There we go. Is there anyone here that would like to make that decision? Father God, um, Help us just not survive, but maybe live out the goodness and the good news of who you are because we settle for famines and we settle for leprosy when there's so much more waiting for us. I know we're afraid. We're afraid it might be a trap. We're afraid of what it might do. But God, maybe just live out this incredible grace and love that you pour out on us in incredible ways. I pray for all of us here this morning, Lord, that there's this renewed sense of urgency in our hearts. I pray for all of us in our relationships because we all have people we come across that that really need to know who you are. 
I pray for all of us, Lord, that uh, we just have the grace and, and the relationship just to sit down with people and help them walk. Because we know ourselves how we need people to help us walk. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that we could be here to worship you. I pray that we honored you this morning in our hearts and our minds, with our voices, with our bodies. And we ask, Lord, that um, until we see you face to face, may we have the courage to step into your goodness. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen.